So as Matt said, we're in the letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, because Paul's discipleship heart really beats strongly in this letter. And so we're eager to continue to grow as a disciple-making community. We know we need to do that, and we're looking forward to what God has for us in that. Uh, pray with us that, that God does that, that he enhances and advances our disciple-making um, impulse and practice in, in, at harvest. Paul is writing from a Roman prison to Timothy, who is pastoring, leading the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he's aware that he will soon likely be put to death. So he knows his time is very short. He says some of his last words in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 are, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith which is a little more, um, I, I like those for final words better than Winston Churchill's final, final words, which he was a great, he was an amazing uh, wordsmith, so it's incredible that his, his last recorded words were, I'm bored. So I, I like Paul's better. In knowing his time in his, in his life is about to end, he, he wants to be sure that he gives strong final encouragement to Timothy. Uh, his spiritual son, his primary disciple, and the one who would more than anyone else carry on his ministry. So what, what does it look like for Timothy to carry on Paul's ministry? What, what must Timothy do? Well, just looking through the letter, what he, what he says is he must suffer for, suffer for the gospel. He uh, has to endure hardship, guard the truth. He needs to make disciples who make disciples. He um, preaches the word. He flees from sin, pursues righteousness. He corrects false teachers. And to do these things, he, he needs to uh, fan into flame God's gift. And that's where he's, what Paul's talking about today, fan into flame the gift that is in you. And Paul wants to see Timothy. So Paul, uh, he, he longs to be with Timothy. He, he wants to see him before he dies. And so he has, he has deep affection for Timothy. Paul is the ultimate human example of a disciple maker in that uh, Jesus, Jesus is the greatest disciple maker. But Paul not only equips and teaches his disciples, and Timothy in particular, but he, he loves them. He, he pours his heart into them. And that's what he's done with Timothy. He, he enjoys being with them, and he, he values having him in his life as he teaches and equips Timothy to become more and more like Jesus in his heart, mind, and actions. So would you stand for the reading of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7? We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of, of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, 
which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Father, cause your word to dwell richly among us, the word of Christ. Your spirit who inspired your word, may he open our hearts to receive it. May he give me clarity and so that I speak your word truly as I ought. Make it effective to us, Father. Make this book live to us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul starts out by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Timothy knew that Paul was an apostle. Why did Paul have to say, I'm an apostle? Well, um, that would be like me emailing my wife, Patty, and saying, Patty, I'm Gary, your husband, pastor. It's mainly a personal letter to Timothy, so you might not think it's necessary, but Paul mentions his role as an apostle because he expected the letter to be read at the church in Ephesus. So it's good to, to know it comes with apostolic authority because he has some difficult things to say. So I think that's why he mentions apostle, so that everybody's convinced of that and clear on that. He said it's by God's will that he was an apostle. He didn't apply for the job. He didn't go on Craigslist and said, needed apostle and apply for the job. Jesus stopped Paul in his church persecuting tracks and called him into his service to proclaim the gospel and and to establish churches. So it was God's will that Paul became a sent one. That's what an apostle is, one who is sent as a representative of someone else. And he continued nurturing and strengthening churches by um, visiting them and preaching to them and so on. But he, he wrote letters that we got in our Bibles, 13 letters actually. And since Jesus has promised his apostles that the Holy Spirit would take truth from Jesus and reveal it to the apostles, what he wrote was Jesus-authorized truth. So he wasn't just writing from his own inspiration. Paul was an apostle according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, he said. Uh, The Jesus-authorized truth that he he sent the apostles, including Paul, to, to establish was for the promise of life in Christ. God's promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ had to be revealed and proclaimed and explained by the apostles. The promise of eternal life was accomplished for us by the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it didn't come to us automatically, so it had to be received by faith, and the apostles proclaimed the the gospel and spread the gospel, and and, uh, therefore all who receive it by faith have eternal life. He says to Timothy, my beloved child, so he wasn't Paul's physical child, but, but as his disciple whom he loved, who he poured his life into, he was like a beloved child to him. He mentored him. Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus our Lord to you. And, and so Paul starts all of his letters, all 13 of his letters, he starts with grace to you. He, he prays, he wishes grace to be upon uh, the recipients of the letter because his truth that he communicates is an instrument of grace in the lives of the people who, who receive it. And we need grace to be able to embrace and to live out the truth that, that, that the apostles give to us. So he says, grace to you and mercy and peace from God. And he says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. 
Paul thanks God as he remembers Timothy constantly in his prayers, day and night. And I, I recommend that if you ever go to prison, it's a good, time, good way to pass, to pass your time is to, to pray day and night. It's a good idea. Because Paul um, could have been nursing bitterness toward his enemies who had driven him to prison. It could have been bitter toward God. Hey, I've, I've sacrificed, I've served for you, so this is what I get. I'm, and I, I was a famous apostle, and now I'm sidelined in jail. So he, he spent his time praying. And I, I suggest, too, if you're in a time of suffering, pray a lot. Don't pull back from praying. Don't stiff-arm God. Pray. Keep trusting him and praying. Paul says that he thanks God whom he serves, as his ancestors did, with a clear conscience. Now, Paul isn't saying that all of his Jewish ancestors were, uh, had clear consciences and were good servants of, of God, but he, he, he recognizes he stands in the heritage of those who serve the Lord with a clear conscience. Like the prophets before him who suffered because people rejected their message and, and uh, persecuted them, he also was persecuted by his own people and they rejected his message. But he, he knew that he was preaching the right message, so he had a clear conscience. He wasn't suffering because he had done wrong. And he's, he's saying this to Timothy because he's encouraging Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel. We'll see that. He starts talking about that in verse 8, following this text. Oh, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of Paul, but to share in suffering for the gospel. So that's his encouragement to Timothy, who's going to be suffering because of being rejected by uh, those who are teaching false false gospels. As Paul thinks of Timothy, he prays. He longs to see him. He remembers Timothy's tears. Probably when they last saw each other, they realized the possibility was they wouldn't see each other again. So uh, he, he remembers that, and he remembers Timothy's tears. You might think that Paul was a, a tough guy who didn't need anybody. He's just a man's man. He just, he just doesn't need anybody. But he has deep affection for Timothy. And he says, I want to see you so that I can be filled with joy. I mean, he, he definitely knew and wrote about being rejoicing in the Lord, but he, he wanted the joy that comes from meeting Timothy. And so maybe, hopefully, you've got somebody in your life that brings you joy. It's a good thing. Yes, we get our joy in the Lord, but, but people bring us joy as well, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. So the reason that Paul thanks God for Timothy primarily is because he had a sincere faith. He was the real thing. He had genuine faith, authentic faith. He's an unhypocritical faith. In contrast to those in Ephesus who were compromising the faith, compromising the gospel, um, Timothy had a, a sincere, real faith. He's encouraged that, that Timothy remains sincere and authentic. And just as Paul is able to appreciate his own faith heritage, his ancestors, he reminds Timothy of his spiritual heritage. Timothy's grandma Lois and mother Eunice both had a sincere faith. And they, they, were, uh, um, they were Jewish background believers, and they, they came to Christ. And um, his mother was married to a, a Greek who was not a believer, so uh, he didn't have a, a believing father, but he had a believing mother and grandmother. It is not guaranteed that children who are raised in, in a Christian home, even where one or both parents have a sincere faith, are going to become Christians. 
Oftentimes that happens, but that's not guaranteed. Having a sincere faith does also doesn't mean you have a perfect faith. It does mean that you are truly keeping Christ and his word central to every area of your life. You see, I can hold out for an hour or two on Sunday, but hard to get into the week with a sincere faith. So that's why we need God's grace and truth constantly injected into our lives, because that's how faith is produced. And so Christian parents, if you're a Christian parent today, your primary discipleship responsibility is is your children. You may have not thought of that in that way because you you might have thought of discipleship as a program that that the church runs or a curriculum or a specific formal study, but they are your disciples. And you say, I'm just trying to raise them so they don't become felons. That's commendable. Less felons are better than more felons. Write that down. But you're just living life with them. And, and exactly, that's Christian discipleship is in the family of God. It's life on life, as, as um, Matt reminded us. Your children should see that Jesus and the scriptures are real to you. In your marriage. In the way you pray. In your decisions, how you discipline, assuming you do that. Do you do that kind of thing? How you relate to your neighbors, your use of money, how you forgive, how you receive forgiveness, how you deal with overcoming sin in your own life. I should see you doing that. In what you talk about and how you talk about it. In your participation in the body of Christ and his mission. And that Timothy had great models of sincere faith in in his mom and grandma when his dad was not a Christian is a strong encouragement if you're a parent uh, who is married to another parent who doesn't believe in Jesus, you can disciple them. It it doesn't require both. It's, It's a lot better when both are on the same page, but if you can still do it when you're on your own. If you haven't had a sincere faith heritage in, in your family of origin, then find a spiritual mom, dad, or brother or sister here. They're around. And then Paul says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame the gift of God. For what reason? Well, because you have the sincere faith, I remind you to fan the flame the gift of God. Why does Paul exhort Timothy to do this? Is he is his faith is his um, is he letting his gift cool off? What is the gift God has given him? Well, most likely it was a preaching and teaching gift, um, since Paul exhorted Timothy back in his first letter to devote himself to teaching, and told him not to neglect the gift that was in him. And in this letter, he exhorts him to preach the word. So probably that was his gift. It's possible that Timothy was letting his gift fires burn low and smolder. 
Or it may be just that in light of the opposition Timothy is facing, that some of the people uh, are not enduring sound teaching and are seeking teachers who would scratch their itching ears. Paul knows that Timothy needs encouragement to endure. And again, that fits Paul's call to Timothy in the, in the next few verses after this section to, be, to not be ashamed of the gospel and to endure in suffering for Christ. So he's saying, Timothy, keep feeding the flame of God's gift. Keep stoking the fires of God's gift. Keep fanning into flame the gift that God has given you of power to speak for Christ without shame and, and to suffer for the gospel. What is Paul talking about when he said Timothy received his gift through laying on of hands, Paul's hands? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he refers to Timothy receiving the gift by prophecy. And the elders had laid their hands on, on um, Timothy, and, and evidently Paul had laid hands on them too. So they affirmed his call, and it must have been a time when Paul was appointing Timothy to the full to, the, the lead shepherding role of this church in Ephesus. And even though Timothy must have already been known as a disciple of Paul and faithful to God's word, it was during this time of appointing Timothy by Paul and the elders that Timothy received the gift of, of teaching and preaching for his work. God worked in this unique way, no doubt, because of the uniqueness of the apostle Paul and, uh, and to affirm that Timothy was indeed his appointed successor. And Paul, again, he's encouraging Timothy, hey, remember that you, you were confirmed in this gift and you were confirmed in this calling and so you can endure in the difficulties of your ministry. If you're a Christian today, you have a gift. You have a spiritual gift, which is enabling an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to serve in the body of Christ. There's no ungifted people in the body of Christ. You've got it. How do you know what your gift is? Well, we have a scanner. No. You, um, you learn what your gift is through getting involved with church community life and serving. You, get, you just start serving. Do what you think that you might want to do or be good at, or, or we'll, we'll manipulate you into something that... We'll help you get involved. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. And as you do that, uh, you'll find out what you enjoy doing and what is helpful to others. And others may even say, hey, you helped me. That was good. Thank you. And so over time, you begin to discover more and more what your gift is or gifts are. How was Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that was in him? So what what was Paul asking him to do when he when he called him to do that. No doubt Paul's earlier instruction to Timothy applies here. As he instructed Timothy earlier, he said back in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, don't neglect your gift, so don't don't not do it. Um, Practice these things. Do these things. Devote yourself to them. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in, in what you're doing for the Lord. This is the way you keep stoking the fires of your gift. Pretty common sense, actually. Um, use it or lose it. Don't just wait around for a feeling of enthusiasm to come over you. Do it. Be doing it. Be after it. Be in it. Devote yourself to it. P- 
pour your heart into it. Back in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul said, Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy in zeal. He said, um, instead, be fervent in spirit. Be boiling in spirit, literally. Serve the Lord. So serve the Lord. No, recognize that God is worthy of your being zealous for serving him. Like It shouldn't be, oh, do I have to? I'd rather be doing something else. Serve the Lord with zeal. Um, Paul said in another letter to the Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. Or in another translation, it was, don't put out the Spirit's fire. The Spirit wants to get you fired up in service, and, and you can quench Him by, by not pursuing what He's calling you to do. And so, how do you do that? Well, be often with those who are going hard after God and who make much of God. That's one way to do it. Be with those who are on fire for him. Don't waste time in soul-deadening, life-sucking, holiness-corrupting, spirit-quenching pleasures. And in chapter 2, Paul will say to Timothy, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, Get with somebody else who's zealous for God and do it together. Hopefully you can find at least one person who fits that description. And then in um, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you be strengthened? It's like he's not saying be strong. He's saying be strengthened. So how do I do that? That's a passive, passive voice. You know your grammar? Passive voice meaning something you let happen to you. So how do you let God strengthen you? By his grace. Well, you trust and ask Jesus to strengthen you by his grace. So you ask him, okay, I've got a verse that says you're going to do this, Jesus. Would you please do this? You are to fan and to flame the gift that is in you, but you can't fire up the gift, the grace gift, by your own strength. You rely upon Christ to do what only he can do. You ask him in a posture of dependence and earnest desire. You say, I really want this. Oh, yeah, i got to have it. So that he gets the glory. Like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, I think I might have this on the screen, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So as Peter says, we are stewards of God's very grace. God has entrusted each of us with unique expressions of his grace gifts that we are to put to work. It's not to be like your health club membership that you don't use. Put it to work. In our day, we we worry about burning out. Say, oh, you're going to burn out. Well, 
yes, you could if you're doing things in your own strength. But if you're, if you're not relying upon Christ's grace, but if we are burning in God's gift by his grace, we are strengthened by his grace and God is glorified. God's grace is like oxygen. His word, fellowship, service, and prayer are the combustible materials that the oxygen of God's grace ignites and strengthens us to serve him. And then he says in verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and, and self-control. So for the, the reason that you should fan the flame God's gift is that God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, so he's saying. So you should not neglect your gift since God has given you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. What does he mean by spirit? Well, some think he means the Holy Spirit, and it could mean that, but most likely what, what he's saying is, He's talking about spirit in terms of heart, conviction, disposition, or attitude that is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So by the Spirit enabling our spirit to do these things. What has God given us a spirit of power for? Well, in verse 8, Paul calls Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So God gives us power to endure whatever hardships we face in serving and living for him. And the gospel. And enduring suffering, we don't become self centered and hardened for God, as also gives us a spirit of love. So He gives us power to endure suffering and hardship. He gives us love so we don't get hard and um, crusty. And in enduring suffering and advancing the gospel, He gives us a spirit of self control. So rather than being disoriented, confused, and emotionally undone, He gives us the, the ability to think clearly and, and be self controlled. And a good strong cup of, cup of coffee can help that out too. Where in your life are you facing fearful circumstances that you don't want to be a coward to, to deal with? Are you the only Christian in your family or workplace? Maybe you need to confront a, a moral issue in your family or, or with a friend, a fellow student. Or you know a fellow Christian who is compromising his or her faith? You may feel you just don't have the courage to confront them, or, or you seek to share the gospel with someone, and, and that's challenging. Or you, you need to comfort someone who is in a really hard place of grief and, and sadness. That's challenging. So you need God's power and love and, and self-control to be able to do those things. Um, you might expect that since Paul says God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, that he would say that he has given us a spirit of boldness or courage. But he says God has given us a spirit of power. So the reason he says that is because uh, in facing difficult confrontations or suffering or sharing the gospel, we may not experience something like a, 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 an adrenaline rush of courage, but we have the power from God to, to act in faith and trust in God as he works in and through us in his power. And in this way, the results are due to God's power, not ours. So God enables you to speak the truth in love in difficult conflict situations, not, not just to get your way or to inflict pain and shame on the other person because they hurt you. To be sure, some of what you say may be painful for them and they may feel ashamed, but your motivation and posture should be one of love. So God gives you power and love to deal with hard situations. 
Your hope is that God may grant them repentance, that they may turn from their errors and be restored and reconciled to you and to God. Most importantly, uh, that, that they get right with God through the gospel, whether for the first time or the 10,000 first time. And because God gave you a spirit of self-control, you can confront the sin or the falsehood without sinful anger, without becoming too emotionally fragile, vulnerable, or unstable to be rational and effective in the confrontation. And sometimes in a tough confrontation, we freeze up and fail to say what really needs to be said. This can also happen when we share the gospel. So we need God's power, love, and self-control to deal with difficult situations for Christ's sake. So what Paul says is, with the combustible materials of faith, prayer, scripture, and God-exalting relationships, let's fan into flame God's grace gifts on the altar of the spirit of power, love, and self-control that God has given us. That way we can be used by him to advance the gospel and confront sin, counsel, comfort, be a help in the body of Christ, effectively for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, what you've exhorted us to do in your word surely is supply what we need for us to fan into flame the, the gift that you've given, the grace gifts that you've given us. May we fan them into flame through prayer, through trusting obedience to being in your word, friendships that cause us to earnestly seek you. Work these things in us, Father, so that what you have worked in us through your spirit, power, love, and a sound mind, we're able to serve you with zeal, love, and power for your glory as as disciples of Jesus. So may we be a, a community that encourages and stirs up one another, stirs up the gifts together. Fan into flame the gifts that we have, Father. For your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.